The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning and go to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 5, please. In our New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And on Sunday mornings, we had been going through a series entitled uh, The Anatomy of the Church. And we've been discussing the ins and outs and what the scripture says about a church. And we'll be picking that back up. But of course, we put that on a pause last uh, Sunday because of Easter. And the next Sunday, we won't be able to, I won't be preaching because our special guest speaker will be preaching uh, for our missions conference. And so instead of putting it on pause, picking it back up, putting it on pause again, and picking it back up again, we're going to just continue on to an extent with the thought that we started with last week on Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, last Sunday, we discussed the salvation of mankind. Of course, because on Easter we celebrate His death, burial, and His resurrection, uh, we discussed what the uh, results of His death, burial, and resurrection were. The fact that because he died, because he was buried, and because he rose again, we have an opportunity to be saved. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us that by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we understand that it's a gift that God has given to us, and what a tremendous gift his salvation truly is for us. And that's what we want to pick up on again, even here this morning, his gift of salvation and his abundant gift of salvation. There's, there's some great things that come because of being saved and because Jesus did die, was buried and rose again. So I want, to, I want you to join with me in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to pick up in verse number 17 and read through the end of the chapter here this morning and uh, discuss some thoughts about the abundance of salvation. In verse number 17, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our Father, we come to you this morning and thank you for your goodness and love and for the fact that we celebrated last Sunday on Easter a, a, a empty tomb and a risen Savior. And here we are a week later and we're still celebrating that same fact. An empty tomb, a risen Savior, a God who loves us, who gave himself for us, a God that you have provided salvation for us and the ability to know you, to be reconciled to you. And Lord, I just ask now that you would uh, use me to speak your word here this morning. Give me the word to speak as I deliver the message. Help us to hear from your word, that your spirit might guide us as we consider it, that it draw us close to you. Lord, I ask now that you'd be honored and glorified through what is said, that you'd be magnified and exalted. And uh, Lord, most of all, we want your will to be accomplished. And for those of us who know you already, help us to just kind of draw close to you, a little bit closer to you because of the uh, knowledge that we gain from your word about how good your salvation is. For anyone here this morning that by, might not know you as their personal Savior, would your tremendous love and your wonderful grace 
and your beautiful mercy that has been shown to us in offering salvation, would it, would it be seen? And uh, that you would speak to the heart of those in need of you and that they trust you today before it's eternally too late. And Lord, we, we praise you and love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned already last week, we considered the salvation of mankind, and that's the result of Jesus' death, burial and, res- burial, and resurrection, the fact that we can know Him as our personal Savior and that we can have a relationship with God because of it. But the truth of the matter is, is I have been saved for about 30 years now in my life, and uh, through that time, I've had a lot of Sunday school lessons sat through and listened to. I've had a lot of sermons preached and heard and, and listened I have preached a lot of messages, in fact, and uh, um, th- that, that, that fact, for instance, this week I had some computer trouble, my hard drive, uh, my computer went down, it crashed, and every message I've ever preached here is on it, and uh, I just started thinking like, man, what in the world, like every one of my notes, my college notes and all that type of thing are on there, and so I've got it trying to get recovered right now and praying that it does. But that just made me think of all the work, you know what I mean, and all the study and all the preparation in those messages. I say that only just to say this. I've heard a lot in my lifetime in 30 years. I've preached quite a few in in my uh, years that I've been in ministry as well, and uh, I still don't know it all, right? And when when I try to really sit back and consider salvation and what Jesus did for me so that I could be saved, and I could have a relationship with Him, that I would be able to spend eternity in heaven. Man, it is just, it's so enormous that I can't even comprehend it all, right? And the truth be told, we won't ever comprehend it all until we're standing face to face with Him. And I'm thankful that we don't have to comprehend it all to even get it either, my friends. You know what I mean? Like to receive salvation, we don't have to know all the ins and outs. We don't need all the, to know all the theological implications of salvation, of, of justification and redemption and regeneration and, sanct- and uh, sanctification and, and imputation and, and all of those tations, right? We, we, don't, we, we don't have to know all, what all of those mean to be able to accept Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm, I'm thankful for that this morning. The grace of God and His redemptive plan for mankind and those who are lost in their trespasses and sins is truly beyond our full ability to understand. But I'm thankful I don't have to understand all of it to receive it. We likely will never understand the magnitude of His abundant grace, but that should not hinder our gratitude. That should not hinder our thanksgiving for what He's done for us. In fact, Paul, he realized the abundance of his salvation And it kept him near the cross. It kept him always thankful for what Christ had done for him. And he never lost sight of who he was and what Christ had done for him. He was grateful for the grace that was extended to him. And I love the way John MacArthur puts it. He he wrote this. He said, Paul was overwhelmed with gratitude that the eternal holy God sent sent his son to die as a substitute to pay the penalty for his sins. That marvelous truth left him with no room for self-congratulation, as if he had contributed something to his own salvation. But Christ's death did not merely put him in a position to be saved, it procured his salvation. From that reality flowed reconciliation, justification, forgiveness of sin, peace with God, and deliverance from wrath and judgment. 
Paul desired above all else to live for the one who sovereignly and graciously redeemed him through his blood. And I want that reality to strike us once again here this morning. And I want that reality to strike maybe anyone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. To understand the magnitude and the extent to which God went so that you and I might be able to be saved. And notice the abundant grace that has been given to us because of salvation. Now this morning as we consider that, I want to draw your attention back to verse number 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. And verse number 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As we consider the abundance of salvation, I want you to notice with me, number one, salvation's regeneration. Now, I mentioned that, that phrase in just, a mo- uh, just a moment ago, and I said, you don't have to understand what that means in order for us to accept salvation and receive salvation. However, though, my friends, this is a marvelous and important truth of what God has done for you and I in salvation. We've already examined our state, mankind's state without Jesus, in, dead in our trespasses and sins, is a terrible one. Last week, we were in Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but He's quickened us or made us alive, right? And so, my friends, we understand that our state without Jesus is that we were born into sin. In sin, our mother conceived us. We were in sin in our mother's womb. We were born sinners. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse number 12, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men. For all have sin. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3 and 23. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, it says, The wages of sin is death. My friends, our standing, our state without Jesus in our sin is a terrible one. Without Jesus, we are in trouble. Without Jesus, we are doomed. But my friends, the Bible tells us that when we trust Jesus as our personal Savior, because of His mercy and because of His grace, He gives us salvation, and through that, we are born again. We receive a new birth. And and when we consider salvation's regeneration, that word regeneration just simply means that we have been regened. You know, there are some genes that are flowing through your, your body right now. Not Levi's, all right? But some, there's some genes, genetics, that are flowing through your body right now. They are a result of your mother and your father and the bloodstream and, the, and all those things. And I'm not a scientist, and I'm not going to try to get into all that today. But I do understand that because of, of those that, uh, that have begot me, that's why, why I have them. When Jesus comes in, he regenes us, spiritually speaking. He regenerates us. And because of that new birth, guess what, my friends? We receive a new state. A new state. Listen, I said our state without Jesus Christ is a bad one, a terrible one, a horrible one. We are destined and doomed for hell. We are enemies with God because of our sinful state. We're not just sinners. We're not, we're not just people who sin. We are sinners. That's who we are. We are born sinners. And that's our state without Jesus Christ. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're regened or regenerated. We are reborn. In fact, Jesus in the Gospels put it this way. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a pretty straightforward statement. That's a simple statement. Just take it at its word. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's simple, yet confusing. 
Because what does it mean to be born again? In fact, Jesus was speaking to a man there in John 3 when he said these words. A man named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, he knew the, the Old Testament scriptures. He knew the prophecies, and he was still confused by this. And Nicodemus' response to Jesus' words was this, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, consider this with me. I don't know how old you might have been when you trusted Jesus as your Savior, but let's say you're 30 years old when you trusted Jesus as your Savior, and he said, hey, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is thinking, man, does that mean at 30 years of age, you're going back into the womb and born physically? That's, a, that's an interesting sight to see right there. That would be something miraculous to take place. But my friends, even more miraculous than that is the fact that Jesus is not talking about a physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual one. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth or a spiritual renewal, a new individual inside made. This is so deep and so clear and so complete. It means that we have become a new creation in Christ. It is at the new birth that the old nature of sin dies and we are reborn into a life of righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but God's righteousness, which we'll talk more about here in just a bit. But at the moment of salvation, guess what, my friends? All things become new. That's what Romans 5, 17 says. If we are in Christ, we are a new creature. The old things have passed and all things are become new. They're brand new. It says it, it, we are reborn. And at the moment of salvation, all things become new. That means our desires. That means our anger. That means our hatred. That means our envy. That means our jealousy. Everything in the old, of the old man has been replaced anew for the life of God. Life is now filled with the desire to serve God, to love others, and, the, and a hope for the future. But my friends, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't, receive, you won't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? Am I going to go back in? And be born again in my mother's womb. And he's talking about a spiritual. He said about this, this, the, of being born of water and of spirit there in John 3. But later on in, the ver in that chapter we find in verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He goes on to say in verse number 17 that God did not send his son into the world to condemn, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But he goes on to say this, that whosoever believeth not is condemned already. That's the state we're in without Jesus. But Jesus came to offer salvation, and when we receive his salvation, we receive salvation's regeneration. We are born again and receive a brand new state. But along with that state, we get a brand new standing as well. Because regeneration is not just an outward change. This regeneration is not just something that someone came along and gave somebody a bath and put a new set of clothing on them, and now they look anew. Because listen, my friends, I could go out to the farm, and I could go find a pig, and I could take that pig into the house and put it in the bathtub, and I could wash all that dirt and grime off of it. I could put lipstick on its lips. I could paint its toenails, and I could put a bow in its tail, my friend. But the moment I let that pig back outside, guess where it's going? Right back to the mud, right back to the muck, right back to the dirt. Why? Because the only thing that changed about that pig was ex external. 
But this salvation change, this regeneration, this new birth is not something that is just external. It is something that internally takes place. Think about a a caterpillar transforming to a butterfly. A total transformation, my friends. And the saved individual now has a new heart, has new eyes to see, new feet to walk, a new, uh, a new hands to work for the Lord, a new voice to speak up for the Lord. And it's only in Christ that t- type of change takes place. This type of change doesn't take place through anyone or anything else. We're preaching on Wednesday nights, oh, the book of Revelation, study through it. And we're just coming now into chapter 13 and moving in and really seeing the Antichrist rise to power. But you understand this, my friends, that Satan, he doesn't use someone that's named the anti-Buddha or someone that's named the anti-Mohammed or the anti-put-in-any-other-religion's name. It's the Antichrist because he knows, as the Scripture says, there's only by one name that man might be saved. And he knows that in order to deceive and in order to keep those bound in their sinful state and bound in that standing and not receiving this regeneration that we're talking about, he's got to confound them. He's got to confuse them. He's got to cause them to look away from the real hope of Jesus Christ and look to falsehood. And my friends, we understand this this morning, that there is no true, real, impactful change that comes apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only one. And we, so we see this morning that in, our, in the abundance of salvation, we receive salvation's regeneration. But in the abundance of salvation, number two, we find that we receive salvation's reconciliation as well. Kind of in verses 18 and 19, it says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we receive this regeneration, that new birth, but with it comes a reconciliation to God our Father. Go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. We find that mankind was living in perfect unity with God. And they had the opportunity to walk with God in the cool of the garden in the middle of the day. And they had a perfect, harmonious fellowship and, and communion with God. Satan comes along and he tempts Eve, and with Eve, uh, Adam sins as well. And as I already mentioned, Romans 5.12 earlier, that because of that sin, sin entered into the world, and, and so it's passed upon all men. And, and so because of that, it broke the fellowship. In fact, when God comes back down and he's like, where's Adam and Eve? Do you think God didn't know where, were, where they were at? Obviously, he knew where they were, but they were trying to hide themselves from him. Why? Because the sin that came in, broke their relationship, broke their fellowship. And because of sin, every individual's fellowship and relationship has been broken with God. In fact, the Bible is clear that without Jesus, we are just simply enemies with God. But because of Jesus, my friends, there's reconciliation. That relationship is righted. It says this in verse number 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by our good works, and by our church attendance, and by our... Why are you laughing? That's not what the Bible says, does it? It says that he's reconciled us to God by Jesus Christ. My friends, 
This reconciliation that comes through salvation comes only through Christ. Only through Christ, as we've mentioned already. But God, who is holy, God, who is righteous, who is perfect, who cannot be in the presence of sin, who is perfect and in his abode in heaven is perfect, could never allow us in our sin to enter into his presence. For if we add anything to perfection or take anything away from perfection, guess what? Perfection happens. What happens to perfection? It's no longer perfect. So if we enter into God's presence imperfect, then we taint his perfection. There's nothing that we could do to try to make ourselves perfect. There's nothing we could do to try to right our wrongs. It doesn't matter how morally we tried to live. It doesn't matter how many good deeds we try to do. We could live better than any other guy out there. But it still would not match God's perfection. So there be, because of that, God made a way through His Son, His perfect Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be reconciled to Him. Colossians 1, 20 and 21 says this, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. And because of his reconciliation, the reconciliation of Jesus Christ, we are now joint heirs together with him to God. We are accepted of the blood. And I am now one of his own. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you are as well. But this reconciliation, my friends, is not just for you and I, but it is for every captive to every captive that is there that needs to hear the good news of the gospel message, to hear that Jesus Christ died for all mankind, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is for everyone that needs him. I'm reminded of a story of an old church that had a big church bell up in its belfry. A group of visitors came by the church that one day, and they were noticing the magnificence and the beauty of this church. And one of the visitors saw the little rope there to be able to ring the bell, and their curiosity got a little bit too much of them. So they ran over there, they pulled the, the bell, nothing happened. So they said, maybe we didn't pull it hard enough. So they pulled it harder this time, but no ring rung out. So they started to be a little inquisitive about what is going on. They inquired as to why the bell wasn't ringing. They made their way up into the belfry, and they noticed that the bell had been framed out and muted by, by wood in the bottom of it to where the bell wouldn't ring. They also noticed that on the side of the bell had been cut out for a door with a padlock on it. And this made them even more curious as to what is going on. When they finally were able to get in, they found that, the, that whoever there at that church had started using a bell that was its intent, its first purpose, its main purpose is to ring they started using it as like a safe box. They were storing valuable things within that, uh, that bell. And it, it served as an inconspicuous place to be able to store and hide things. And it served as a strong box, yes. But it failed to meet why it was created, to ring. My friends, you and I, having known Christ as our personal Savior, have been made to ring out the good news of Jesus Christ. We have been made to tell the gospel message. Unfortunately, many a Christian are like that, that bell in that belfry, 
And they lock up the good news behind lock and key and never share the glorious message of the gospel. The Bible says if our light be hid, it's hid to those who need it the most, those that are lost. And if, our, if we, how shall they hear in Romans 10, it says, without a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? And we have a part to play in telling those around us about the love of Jesus. We have a part to play in telling the world around us about the love of Jesus as well. And that's why we're having this missions conference this week. I sure do pray that you would allow the Lord to speak to your heart about how you could ring your bell loudly for Him. But thirdly, this morning, not only do we see the see salvation's regeneration and salvation's reconciliation, but when we consider salvation's abundance, we also notice, thirdly, salvation's righteousness. Join me down in the last verse of this chapter in verse number 21. For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. My friends, our reconciliation is achieved through Jesus Christ. Our regeneration is achieved through Jesus Christ. The one who is holy, the one who is sinless, the one who is undefiled gave His life so that we might also receive His righteousness. I want you if, you, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can go with me, but I want to read a verse, and I want to quote it correctly, so I'm turning over there. Romans chapter, uh, chapter number uh, 10. Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Notice what it says in verse number 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Paul says uh, to the church at Rome that his own people, that part of their issue was that they were not reaching out or accepting the righteousness of God, but yet instead trying to establish their own righteousness. They're trying to do their own good works. They're trying to earn their own way to be forgiven. And Paul is saying that is simply unable to happen. But my friends, he goes here in, in 2 Corinthians to tell the church at Corinth that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, our righteousness goes out the window because it's replaced with God's righteousness. Listen, my friends, how does that happen? How in the world can we receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ? Well, it started back at the cross. Because look what it says there in verse number 21. God made Jesus, for he hath made him, God made Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. When Jesus hung on that cross, as we probably considered and, and thought about as we celebrated his resurrection last week, and we probably considered how he got there in the first place, when we considered how he hung on the cross, and we heard these, we, we know that he spoke these words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As I said earlier, God cannot allow sin into his presence. And the sin of all mankind, bow all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the sin that was taking place right there on the earth at that day. I'm talking about the Roman soldiers who nailed him there. I'm talking about the Pharisees who hated him and condemned him. I'm talking about Judas who betrayed him. Every one of those sins at that time were laid on him. And every sin of the future, every sin that I've ever committed, and every sin that you ever committed and will continue to commit, my friends, was laid on Jesus' shoulders while he hung on that cross. Yeah. 
And because of it, God turned his face away from his own son. And Jesus cried aloud, it is finished! And he died and gave himself for you and I. But it didn't end there. And that's why we celebrated last week. He rose again. But my friends, you understand this this morning? That all of our sins was placed right on him. The only way that we could ever receive perfect righteousness is for the one who is perfect, who has the ability, who has all authority to experience what we have experienced and to pay for it in our place. We're reminded in Isaiah 64, 6 that but we are all as an unclean thing and all of our own righteousnesses as are as filthy rags. That's how, how our goodness is. You say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. You probably are compared to most. But compared to God, it's just a filthy rag. But my friends, that's the point. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? So that we, you and I, might be made the righteousness of God through our good works. You're not following along. That's why I didn't get a laughter right there, because that's not what the Bible says. We receive the righteousness of God in Him, in Jesus Christ. It's nothing I do. It's nothing that I earn. It's what He's already done that provides so that I can be saved and receive His redemption. See, my friends, if we were to die without Jesus... We'd stand before God, and all God would see was our filthy, wicked, vile, wretched sin. And he'd say, depart from me. I never knew you. But those who know Jesus as their Savior, because Jesus took our sin and died and paid the penalty for it, because he rose again, when we trust him as our personal Savior, now when we are going to stand before God, we are going to be standing before God, and he's going to see us covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Covered in Jesus' perfection. It's called imputation is what it's called there. In fact, the Bible uses that word there in verse number 19, not imputing their trespasses unto them. That is putting someone's account to the other's and replacing that person's account for theirs. So it's like if, if, if you and I both uh, had taken out a loan from the bank. Let's use Chase Bank for an example, just for the simple case here. We both had taken out a loan at Chase Bank, and it was pretty much for the same amount of money or whatever the case might be. And uh, you paid your account off, but I still had like 95% of it left to pay off. I'm still, uh, I'm still liable for that debt. And they're going to expect me to pay that debt plus the interest and all those things along with it, right? But after you've paid it off, you are debt-free now to Chase, but I still have 95% of my debt that I have to pay. And you come along to Chase Bank and say, hey, I'm going to take their account. I want you to swap it. I want you to make what I was debt-free, I want you to make them debt-free. And I'll take their debt upon me. That's what Jesus did for us. He took his perfection and he gave it to us, and he took our sin so that we could have it. My friends, that's salvation's righteousness, not of our own, but everything of his. And lastly, before we close, notice fourthly this morning, salvation's responsibility. We skipped a verse a moment ago, if you noticed that, and verse number 20 says this, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. I see two responsibilities on our side when it comes to salvation. One, because of salvation, we have the res- responsibility to represent Him. We're as ambassadors, it says. And an ambassador 
is a representative for the, for the sovereign nation or for the individual and who they are standing in their stead for. And an ambassador is sent out by that so- sovereign nation's power to n- represent that nation. When that ambassador goes to the, wherever they're at, they don't go there and promote their own agenda. But they are sent to make known the agenda or the needs of that one they are representing. And therefore, you and I, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we don't represent our own needs, our own wants, or our own ide- ideologies. What we represent is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everywhere we go, no matter where we're at, it ought to be that. First Timothy 4 and 16 says, Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine, unto the doctrine continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. But notice, my friends, I believe there's another responsibility when it comes to, to salvation. Now, this is not anything to do with how we, how we earn salvation, because we can't earn salvation. But I do believe that there is a responsibility to be reconciled. That's what it says there in verse number 20. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And what, am I mean by, what do I mean by that? I believe this has the implication... Of be, the, 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 to be reconciled has the implication that while God has provided the way for reconciliation and so therefore is the reconciler, this reconcile, reconciliation can only take place if a sinner lays a hold of God's great life preserver by grace through faith. What do I mean by that? Let me explain it. Say we were out on some body of water. Let's just use, this, uh, let's use the ocean. We're, we're miles out in the ocean. It's miles deep there, all right? And you might be a decent swimmer, but there's no way that if your boat went down right there in that location in the sea that you're going to swim all the way to the shore and make it and live. And so you're out there on this boat, you're enjoying your time, but all of a sudden it starts to sink and it tips over and you go in the water. You're in big trouble. There's no way you can swim to safety. You need someone to save you. And you're calling out for help, and sharks are starting to, sw- to circle and all this. I mean, this is a bad case, all right? All of a sudden, the Coast Guard shows up. Coast Guard throws out a lifeline, and at the end of the lifeline is a life preserver. That life preserver lands right next to you, and they say, grab the life preserver. You grab the life preserver, and they pull you to safety. Who saved you? The Coast Guard, obviously. You didn't save yourself had they not showed up and offered the resources necessary for your safety. You wouldn't have ever been saved. The only part you played in that is just reaching out and grabbing the life preserver, accepting their offer for safety. All right? Now, say the, say you're the same scenario. You're out there. Your boat goes down. You're out there. You need help. You're crying for help even. The Coast Guard shows up. They throw out the lifeline with life preserver at the end of it. And you say, I need help. They say, grab the life preserver. I need help, but not that way. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? That'd be ridiculous. No, I'll try to swim to the boat. No, don't swim to the boat. Just grab the life preserver. We'll pull you in. No, I'm going to try. And well, you try, to, you try to swim to the boat to, to your own safety and you get eaten by a shark. Or you're, you're already wore out, so you go under and you sink and you drown. You, see what I'm saying? you say, that's kind of a ridiculous. Why wouldn't somebody just reach out and grab what was offered for them for salvation, for their safety? You're right. Why wouldn't they? But every single day, there are people that slip off into eternity with the life preserver of salvation right there next to them. But because they didn't want to do it Jesus' way, they are never saved. 
Jesus said, I've already paid for the penalty. I've already paid the price. I've already died for you. I've rose, risen again. Your only responsibility is to be reconciled. Your only responsibility is to accept me. How many times do we talk to people and say, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I've gotten in this baptistry tank. Or yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Or yeah, I'm going to heaven because I give a lot of money to charity. Or yeah, I'm going to heaven because I do a lot of charity work. Oh yeah, I'm going to heaven because my mom, she prayed a lot. Oh yeah, I'm going to heaven because my grandpa was a preacher. Oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, my grandma was a Sunday school teacher. And you can go on down the line and there are all ways of people trying to say, yeah, I'm going to heaven my way. But they've not been reconciled because they're rejecting the life preserver. The only part we play is just the accepting of it. The only part we have, the, the only responsibility we have is to be reconciled. Accept what he has done for you. Jesus said, Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The verses before that say, With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. My friends, Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. All you have to do is accept him. Grab the life preserver. The question is, is will we do it our way? We do it His way. Now, if you're here this morning, you know Christ as your Savior. Here's the good thing. The abundance of your salvation has been made clear. Surely you've noticed it. The fact that He regenerated you. He's reconciled you. He's given you His own righteousness. He's given us the opportunity to be part of what's going on. And we have the responsibility to be His ambassador. What an, an opportunity that is. But maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Your only responsibility today is not to get your act together, not to turn over a new leaf, not to clean yourself up. It's just simply call on Him, trust Him, accept His life preserver by grace through faith. Trust Him as your personal Savior today. I can invite you to stand to your feet with me here this morning with her heads bowed and her eyes closed. Out of respect of others, if you would help me with that, no one looking around. How many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure that I'm saved? And heaven is my home. If I died right now, God forbid, but if, if, if I died right now, I know that I'd spend forever, for eternity in heaven with Jesus. Could I just rejoice with you? Slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony to that. Hands all across this auditorium. I wonder, and there's nothing to be embarrassed about, nothing to be uh, ashamed about if, if this is you, but maybe there's someone here today and you would honestly say, I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not 100% sure that heaven's my home. Now, no one here would think funny of you. No one here would be, uh, think of you any less if you were to admit that here this morning because every single one of us were in that point some, at, some, at some time in our life. No one's born as a Christian. No matter how religious your family is that you've come from, no one is born saved. That's why Jesus said we must be born again. So everyone that is saved here today, everyone that knows Christ as their personal Savior, at some point in their life was in the same position you are at today. So if you're here and you'd say, honestly, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. I don't know that Jesus is my personal Savior. I'm not sure I've ever been born again. I can't pray you into heaven, but I do want to pray that the Lord would speak to your heart and give you the courage, the faith to trust Him today. And if that's you here this morning, you say, Pastor, I just don't know that I've ever been born again. Could I just simply pray for you? Slip your hand up quickly and write back down if that's you. Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. I'm not sure that I've ever been born again. Then one last question. 
who here would say, Pastor, I, all those things are covered. I know I'm saved. But through the message this morning, I've been reminded again of what God has done for me and my salvation. Regined me. Reconciled me. Given me his righteousness. But I was also reminded today that I, in that, I have a responsibility. That responsibility is to be his ambassador. To represent him well. And who here would say, Pastor, pray with me that as I continue to live this life here on earth, that I would represent him well by submitting and yielding my life to his control. Submitting and yielding my life to his will in whatever way he sees fit. Could I pray with you towards that end? Also slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across the auditorium. I believe that ought to be the heart of every believer that we just want to do what he wants us to do. So I'm going to pray. The piano is going to begin to play. Maybe the Lord spoke in your heart in that way. Would you like to come down to the front and kneel at the altar and just pray and give that to the Lord, respond to him accordingly? Maybe you're not able to kneel, but right there in your seat, you'd call out to him as he has spoken to you today. Our Father, we thank you so much for this day and for your goodness and love. Have your will and your way in this invitation. And we do pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.